0: Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. We are in Psalm 128. And if you don't know me, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill. Thanks, Alex, my neighbor, Alex. Your check's in the mail. (laughs) That was weird. Psalm 128. We are continuing our series, Time. Time how our gospel identity changes everything we do. And this morning, our subject matter is celebration, the rhythm of celebrating. If I asked you a question, I think everyone in here, if I asked this question, everyone's answer in here would be yes. And that question is, how many of you are trying to live a happy life? I think everybody in here would say yes. I think everybody in the world would say, I'm trying to live a happy life. I'm trying to to be happy. We may look in different places. We may uh, look in different people, but we're all trying to pursue happiness. I mean, think about this. An, An extremist terrorist is searching for happiness or blessing through their devoted sacrifice and devotion to their beliefs. An alcoholic is searching for happiness through escapism or escaping from their circumstances. A devout Christian, which this room is filled with, searches for happiness through their devotedness to and obedience to God. A shopaholic searches for happiness through accumulation, trying to get as much as they can and fill the closets and shelf space. Find happiness there. Midtowners search for happiness through trying to be different. If you haven't noticed, stick around just a little bit. Voters now are looking for happiness in their candidate. So-and-so is going to bring blessing upon the United States or abundance or greatness or strength. Religious people search for happiness through religion that is convenient and comfortable that they can accomplish things. We are all looking for happiness, every single one of us. And Psalm 128 gives us a picture of what life, what a happy life or happiness looks like, or a blessed life. If our lives are blessed, if we truly are blessed and and, and happy, then celebrating would be a regular practice in our lives. It would be a regular rhythm. So if we are blessed... If we are happy, then celebrating would be a regular practice or rhythm. But this isn't true in our lives, is it? I know in my life, there's, there's not a lot of celebration. I mean, the birthdays and the holidays, sure, but, but practicing celebrating doesn't happen on a regular basis in, in my life. And it's not because good things aren't happening in my life. It's not because I don't feel blessed. It's because I'm distracted, I'm busy. I'm not paying attention to what the Lord is doing. Look around at the people in this room. Think of the people at work. And the and the the happiest, the bubbliest person gets you know pushed away at arm's length. They get tagged as, as the weirdo. They get ignored. We say things like, I haven't had enough coffee yet to deal with Becky or Steve or whoever. It's become so unnormal that sometimes we, we feel strange even celebrating. We feel different. We feel abnormal celebrating things and, and moments in our lives where, with, with, of course, the few exceptions, the holidays, the, the birthdays, the graduations, those, the big things, but there's so many things in our lives that we can celebrate and should be celebrating even now. We are all guilty of this fact. We're all guilty, and yet we have reasons to celebrate. There's a, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between sitting here, worshiping and, and, and singing songs to, to praise Jesus, and then our life away from here, where it's not filled with, with celebration I mention all this to say we have work to do. There is a a problem, a disconnect. Which brings us to our text this morning, Psalm 128. It gives us a snapshot of what it looks like to be happy and why. As we've seen in in previous psalms, this is a a song. As we've seen in in the psalm of of ascent that we're studying through, this is a song. This is an, an artist's rendering of happiness. But there are, there are truths here that we can, we can grab hold of. It's not descriptive. This isn't how we're supposed to live. If we don't live this way, then we're not going to be happy. It's prescriptive. This, we get an idea, hints, clues of what a happy life looks like. So let's read Psalm 128 together. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. All the days of your life, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, don't freak out, okay? If you don't have children or you don't have a spouse yet, you can still be happy, okay? Remember, this is just a song, this is an artist's version or rendering of a happy life, a blessed life. Well, we have this verse one that is the the crux of this chapter or this psalm. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. This is the, the proclamation. If a man is going to walk in his ways and he is going to fear the Lord, he will be blessed. Then we have these examples of what a blessed life looks like. For, for the reader of Psalm in, in, in this time, these would be things that, that as you were reading, you would be like, yes. Yes, I get it. I get it. This is, this is a blessed life. I understand. You shall eat the fruit of your, the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. You're going to have a family. You're going to have kids. You're going to have food that you've worked hard for. You're going to see fruits of your labor. All of these things are pictures of what a happy, blessed life looks like. I'm, I'm interchanging blessed and happy because that's the, the, the Jewish word here can be both. It's the idea of, of, it's as if it's saying, this is the best way to live. And this is the happiest way to live. That's what's being proclaimed here in verse 1 and in this psalm. So, so when I say happy and when I say blessed, it's the same thing. So I'm going to try not to confuse you, but that's the same thing going forward. It's a declaration. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. They would sing this song to celebrate. They would sing this song to celebrate the life that God calls us to, to celebrate the life that he has has molded and shaped us into. This would be the song that they would sing so let's look at, if this is the crux of our psalm, what does fear the Lord mean? What's, what's that, what is that, what's the picture of, of fearing the Lord? Because I know in, in my head, when you hear fear, that's not a positive thing. Fear is, especially now we have Halloweens, we have haunted houses and crazy costumes and, and kids going to corn mazes and getting scared and all sorts of stuff. It's a different meaning. It's a, it's a proper understanding of, of who we are and who God is. Who we are and who God is. God is creator. He has spoke everything into existence. He has uh, told the mountains where to go, and he, had, he shaped where the rivers were going to go, and he put the stars in the sky. This creator spoke everything we see into existence, even us. So fearing the Lord is a, is a perspective shift. It changes things. It puts us where we are and where we belong instead of above God, which is where we often want to to be and sit. It's an understanding that if if we know Jesus, if we are Christians, if we have seen our sin, accepted God's salvation, if we have come to a relationship with Jesus, then it puts us in that same relationship where he has rescued us from ourselves and from our sin it's a proper perspective shift it's an understanding that that all things come from him not some not just the the things we would call good everything comes from him see if we're if we're brutally honest though if we are straight clear brutally honest we would say I want a God who fits me. I want a God who is convenient and comfortable. I want a God who who hears me, he listens, he answers my prayers, but stays uninvolved. He doesn't ask too much of us. He has the power to change things, but but he's not changing too much because change is hard. If we're brutally honest, that sounds pretty good. But that's that's our heart talking, and we can't trust what's in our heart. We can't trust those desires. We can't make decisions based on our hearts because God sent Jesus to save us from that very heart, save us from ourselves. See, That's not a reality of who God is. He's not not uninvolved. In fact, God is really involved. He has rescued us. He has made a way for us. He is powerful and majestic. He is sovereign, ruler over everything. He is king. He is ruling with a hand of love and grace and with a hand of justice and wrath. He is caring and he is good. He rules. He reigns. He is mighty. This is the God who is feared. Not not because he's scary or because he rules with with brutality, but because he is glorious. This is the God we fear. This fear exists because we we come face to face with our sin. And we come face to face with our our sin here in us and his glory and perfection and holiness here. And the only reaction, the only option that we have is to fear him because he is in control and he is God. Doesn't necessarily fit our hearts though, does it? But those that fear the Lord, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Not not just the good looking, not just the rich, not just the, fill in the blank, the professionals, everyone, bless everyone who fears the Lord. See, we often, we don't like that. We don't like that God. And we put ourselves as ruler and authority of our own lives because we think we know better. But when we come face to face with who God is, that changes. And because that changes, we come to an understanding of our sin, an understanding of our need for rescue. That's what happens in the gospel. We're face to face with our sin, our need of a rescue We're face-to-face with the fact that, that we can't save ourselves. We can't do anything to fix the problem that's inside of us, but God can and God did through Jesus. And he did it freely. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It was freely given. Puts things in proper perspective. It is this fear that causes us to walk in his ways. Because in fear, we desire to do what pleases Him. Not not a, a, a legalistic fear where we're scared of punishment. Growing up, you remember, mom says, mom and dad say, don't, you know, come home before 10. You're home at 11 and you try to sneak in because you're scared of what's going to happen. That's not who God is. That's a, that's a, that's a, a legalistic fear that's not going to lead to freedom or not going to lead to a, a, a good relationship. We walk in his ways because of what he has done in our lives. We walk in his ways. We walk in his, the fear of him because of what he has done, because he's glorious, and he rescued us. See, in, in, in our guilt, in our, in our need, for Jesus and our need for a rescue, he forgave us. And that forgiveness and that rescue made us and drives us to walk in his ways. See, happiness, as I said earlier, blessed happiness is the best way to live. It is the, the best way to to live. It's the, the Lord's way, and the best way to live comes from fearing the Lord and walking in His ways. See, fearing the Lord and walking in His ways, the fruits of that are happiness and, and, and blessed. To so bless everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. So, if this is the case, if we are blessed, through the gospel, through Jesus, if we are blessed and we're, we're, we're happy people, then it doesn't begin and end on a Sunday. And it doesn't begin and end on the days where you feel like being happy. It doesn't begin and end on the times where you gather with the church, whether that be in a house or on a Sunday or whatever that, 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 that time may be. It happens in our life as a normal activity, a normal rhythm. And so celebration becomes a normal rhythm of the Christian life. And I know there's many reasons why this doesn't happen. Life is hard. It's complicated. We're too busy. We don't, we don't see reasons to celebrate. We, we elevate ourselves we think we're the most important thing in this world, a person in this world, and everybody else revolves and orbits around us, and why would we celebrate other people? This is all sin, and it's all unbelief. Because if, if, if we're doing any of these things, and we are not believing that God is good, and we are looking elsewhere for that truth, we are looking elsewhere to gain um, value. We're looking elsewhere to gain recognition. We're looking elsewhere to, to gain that, that love and that, that happiness that comes from God. Celebration then can become, if we're doing it, if it's a practice in our lives, can become an, an apologetic for the Christian life. It can be a defense and an argument for the Christian life. It could be a picture of how things could be, a picture of of our future in eternity where we're going to be celebrating our entire life for eternity, celebrating Jesus. And let us be clear, you guys have been to parties, you've seen parties, you've celebrated, they become, they're good for everyone, right? Like most parties, most celebrations are good for everyone, I know you're thinking, I've seen some parties that aren't good for everyone. Yes, I, I'm thinking of those too. But for the most part, celebrations become good for everyone because they're, they're attractive, they're contagious. I'm afraid that the Christian life has become sterile and, and even benign than originally planned. And I don't know what happened, I don't know where this started, but, but we think about all the things, all the rules that we have to follow, and we think about how we're supposed to live, and, and I've got to get up early to spend time in the Word, and I've got to you know, act this way so people know that I'm a Christian, and I've got, got to do all these things It's become this, this sterile, non-celebratory life. But that's not, how, that's not what God had intended. God, it wasn't intended for us to be boring and safe and and, and, and melancholy all the time. His ways are what's best for us. And if his ways are what's best for us, then then we would be happy. We'd be joyful, joy-filled people because there is joy found in Jesus. There's joy found in his ways. The gospel, the word actually means good news. Good news. So, what are we missing? Why is it sterile? We should be the best people on earth at celebrating. Now, I've heard that before. I've heard it before and I've wrestled with it and I've argued against it, but the reality is you were dead and now you're alive. In Jesus, that our hearts were hearts of stone and now they're hearts of flesh. We once were on death row, our penalty was death, separation from from God, and He rescued us from that. We should be the best people on earth at celebrating. We We should throw the best parties, celebrate the most, be known in your neighborhood. We have the most to celebrate. And even in, even in the hardest of life circumstances, when you don't feel like celebrating, even in the hardest of, of struggles in your life, there is a reason to celebrate. Even, even this morning, the fact that, that you're sitting there and your heart is beating inside of you, is reason to celebrate this morning. Now you say, I know, that's, that's silly. Chris, that's, that's so minor. Well, is it? Because God has formed you and shaped you and made you for your body to work the way that it works. And he is holding you together. What if we celebrated the little things in our lives? What if? What would that look like? What if we had a a party for a family member who just had a good week? What if our family meals were were parties instead of, oh, I have to go to missional community family meal this week. I guess I'm providing the meals. Let me figure that out. What if they were parties? What if we celebrated? You know, uh, uh, the the stewards, us, and, and the Dunlaps, the first day of school, we always go get ice cream after the first day of school, which seems... Kind of silly, because like you'd really actually do it at the end of school, not the beginning, but we wanted to celebrate it. This is a new year. This is a, it's, it's a small thing, but we do it, because we want to celebrate the big and the little. Well, celebration does not change your life. It's not going to change your circumstances. It's not going to change your heart. It's an, it's an effect of a changed heart or changed life. That's where the celebration comes from. That's talking about Jesus rescuing us. See, God enters our world. He enters our lives, and he changes our hearts. And and, and like an acorn that's planted in the ground, we know that an acorn is going to become a mighty oak tree. But at some point, that sapling has to come out of the ground. It's what it's created to do. It has to come out. It has to burst out of the ground. And so, celebration in us, I believe, has to come out of us because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done. It's in us. It has to come out, and people are going to see it. People are going to see it in our lives, and they're going to know man, these guys are weird but I want to be part of that because of what, what they celebrate and what they do. We need to stop living for our emotions and, and feelings, like how we feel and, and does that direct us? And Because you know, some days we don't feel good. Stop living that way and start living from a rescued and redeemed heart. That changes everything. Like that, that acorn Celebration is going to come. It's going to burst out of you as a believer, or at least it should. It's our sin and our unbelief that's keeping it from happening. In the hardest of life's circumstances and struggles, we still have reason to celebrate. If you grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11. I want you to see this. This may not be a big deal to you, but I think this is a really big deal. Paul, in, in, in Romans, Paul is the author, and he gets done basically making this gigantic dissertation or argument for why the gospel is for everyone, and everyone has need, and everyone is, is sinful and broken, and there is hope for everyone. And he gets to, to uh, Romans chapter 11, this part in his letter and go to uh, verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, that was us, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy, for God has consigned all to disobedience. That, I, that's the wrong spot. <laughs> verse No, let's keep going. All to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So his conclusion is this, that God is going to have and can have mercy on all. Though you were far off, though you were disobedient, God will have mercy on all. But then this is what he is led to. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The point I want to make is that Paul has made this argument and he has been moved to worship and celebration of who Jesus is. He has written all this down. He's looking back. He's, he's concluded it in this section, and he has moved to celebration. So the gospel moves us to celebration. We were far off, and God has brought us near in Jesus. We did not have a father, but now we have a father because of Jesus. This is good news. And the only reaction is to celebrate. And listen, listen to this. David is writing in Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. If that doesn't sound like celebration, I don't know what is. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord All the earth, celebrate. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. Do you get what I'm saying, what I'm showing you? The Christian life is a life of celebration, not doldrums and darkness and sterile, benign activity. 1 Timothy 4 4 and 5. It'll be on your screen. It says, For everything created by God is good. Everything. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The celebration of a Christian comes from a changed life who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. The Christian life changed life. True and sincere celebration multiplies. I don't know if you guys saw this last night, but the Chicago Cubs won the NLCS series, and they are going to the World Series for the first time in 71 or two years. Crazy. They've had a curse on them for a hundred and something years. Like, it's been a big deal. Well, I, I, was, I was trying to watch some videos and see it. I didn't see it live, or I didn't see it on TV, but they were celebrating. They were happy and joyful, and I found myself being happy for them and being Excited for Chicago and the Cubs. Now in Chicago you're either a, a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan, so you can't be excited for the whole city, but you can be excited for the Cubs fans. And I was excited for them because joy is contagious. Celebrating is contagious. This journey that you and I are on as Christians. It's not boring. It's not sterile. It's not filled with despair or confusion. It's a blessed life, a good life, a right life, a life of happiness. And this life is a life of discipleship. So celebration can help us in discipleship too. The contagious aspects of Christianity are magnified when when true and sincere celebrations are the norm. The contagious aspects of Christianity are magnified when true and sincere celebration is a normal practice. So why are you celebrating? Could be a question that is asked. What's the purpose of of this party you're you're throwing in your front yard? Why why do you love those kids well and and feed them weekly when they don't offer anything? You, You don't fuss or fight. Why are you putting all that money in a, in a house in north of Jackson where you're not going to make anything and it's going to be for single moms? It doesn't make sense to me. We can celebrate those things. Those are opportunities to celebrate and we are celebrating as a church. We are celebrating the the, the generosity that is given to support these that that house, and we are celebrating the opportunities that we have to, to feed kids and the love on kids who don't have that, that love necessarily in their lives. See, the Cubs are headed to the World Series for the first time in 71 years, and that pales in comparison to the grace that God shows you. As, a big, as big a deal as that is, it is nothing compared to the grace that God has shown you this morning as your heart is pounding in your chest. we should find people to celebrate with. We should find people to, to share the good news with. Because that's what sharing the gospel is. It's sharing the good news. It's inviting people in to this celebration. You don't have to throw a party every week or every day. But what comes out of our mouths can tell somebody quickly if we're celebrating or not. Here's the reality of all this, though. We've talked about being rescued. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about Jesus. But we're still sinful. And we still are struggling in this world. Our our hearts fight against serving and celebrating others. We still have selfish intentions and, and selfish desires. We still are contaminated by our sin. We are not perfect yet. We need the Holy Spirit to help us see and find moments to celebrate. I can't give you a list. We'd be here for hours. But we, 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 we can ask the Spirit to help. We can ask the Spirit to show us, to open our eyes to see. We can ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our fear of the Lord and to remind us that He is God and we are not. We, we need the Holy Spirit to re, to remind us that that he is good that he is not distant that he is good and he is right here with us and we don't have to look to other people for acceptance or value or worth so how do we do this so I've I've talked about celebrating I've I've, I've talked why we celebrate, where it comes from, as the acorn and the, the, the sapling shoots out of the ground, so celebration should shoot out of the Christian life because of the gospel. So how do we do this? We begin by thinking through our, our personal rhythms and ask the question, where can we celebrate? What rhythms in our life can we use to celebrate? Moving out. Where can we add celebration in our our missional community rhythms? You know, it begins with birthdays. That's easy. It's intentional discussions reminding each of us what God has done in the last seven days. Instead of saying, hey, what can we pray about? Say, hey, what has God done this week? What mighty work has he done this week in your life or around you that we can celebrate? Prayer is important, and I'm not dismissing that. But sometimes we get stuck on on, on how things are bad, and we miss out on all the good stuff that God has done. It begins with these questions, because the reality that is is that God is always at work. He's always at work in us and around us. And even in those moments where we don't feel his presence, where we think that he is far off, in the distance, not engaged, he is. We are always looking for those moments. We're going to be more aware of his presence and his work in our lives. Think about it. If we just start thinking about things that he has done, we're automatically engaged in the fact that he's at work in our life now, and we're automatically working on a more intimate relationship with him because we're thinking about what he's doing and looking for opportunities to celebrate. Do you see? And our ways become his ways. His work in us and through us changes how we live, how we serve, how we love, how we celebrate. In order to to celebrate, you must have a reason to celebrate. We have that reason, and that's Jesus. We have that reason. The gospel gives us reason to celebrate. We also, though, need a subject of our celebration. Think about the birthday parties that you've been to. We're always always celebrating somebody, right? My son son Jed had a birthday earlier in in October, and we celebrated Jed because it was his birthday. He was our subject. Well, we need a subject to celebrate. Well, we have a reason because Jesus rescued us. What is that subject then of our celebration? Find that subject. Find that thing. Another requirement for celebration is we need to tell others what we are celebrating. We need to tell others. You know, if it's Jed's birthday, Jed's going to walk around and tell everyone it's his birthday. If it's my birthday, well, probably not, but... Some of us are going to tell others about our birthday. We're going to tell others about what we're doing for so-and-so's birthday. We're going to tell others about a party we're going to have. We're going to tell others, well, we have to voice what is happening in our lives, what we are celebrating, which makes us and turns us into storytellers. We become storytellers. We become people who who are proclaiming the truths of the story that God is writing in our lives. And how he's weaving us into his story. In order to celebrate, we need to share why we're celebrating. And we become storytellers in the midst of celebration. That question why do y'all do that? Why do you continue to do that? Why are you putting all that money there? Let me tell you. Let me tell you why. You become storytellers. A great opportunity. Great opportunity to celebrate when it comes from our mouths. So, here at Mercy Hill, at our gatherings for the next five weeks, we're going to practice storytelling in our Sunday gatherings. Our Sunday gatherings are going to be a little different. There will not be one person up here preaching a sermon. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, great, we don't have to come. Perfect. We we'll don't have to hear a sermon. Yes. No, no. Come and hear the stories of of God's activity in the lives of our missional communities. Each missional community will be responsible for a Sunday gathering. The 40 minutes where a sermon would preach, that missional community is going to be telling stories of what God has done over the past year. It's going to be a a great time, and it's going to be a celebration each time we do it. There may be some awkwardness. I don't know. Some awkward silence. Who knows? Who knows? But that's okay because we're celebrating the work that Jesus has done. There may be some some incredible videos. There may be a song or a dance. I don't know. Brad, you're on the song and dance, right? Who knows? But these are going to be great opportunities for us as a church to hear what God is doing in four different parts of Midtown. To hear what God is doing in, in lives where we may not be running in those circles. We're gonna sto- celebrate through storytelling. Our desire is that we all will be encouraged through these stories, that we'll all be encouraged. These stories of God's gracious and glorious hand in the lives of Mercy Hill Church. That's our desire. So get your stories ready. If you haven't heard about this yet, you will. Get your stories ready. Because, Mercy Hill, we're going to celebrate together. You are a storyteller. You have a story to tell. You have a changed life to celebrate. So you are a celebrator, if that's even a word. You are a storyteller. And all of that points people to Jesus. All of that. Points Jesus to, to to points people to Jesus, the, the author of this story. So the title of this sermon series is is Gospel Identity Changes Everything We Do. How our gospel identity changes everything we do. Well, one of our rhythms that needs to be brought into our lives is celebration. And because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, it changes our entire life. It changes our hearts. It changes what we talk about. It changes how we talk about things. And it changes what we celebrate. So this morning, as we 30 minutes ago got done, just got finished singing a song about Jesus paying it all. This morning we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate Jesus through song, through prayer, through the preached word, through our time together. and Through the words that we say with our mouths as we leave here, praising Jesus and talking about the stories and what he's done in our lives. So let's let's pray together. And then we were going to sing some more. Father, we thank you. For this morning, we thank you for this morning that that you've brought us here. We thank you that we have reasons to celebrate, that it's not, this life isn't boring. You're not distant, you're here with us. You're working in our midst. Spirit, we ask you to keep working to keep opening our eyes to see, to keep showing us those times, those situations, those circumstances that you are working it out for us. We look to you. You are the greatest subject for celebration and worship. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.